0: morning everyone who's happy to be in church today come on are you happy to be here today Awesome, awesome. I'm so glad to be here. And also, I just want to say a big welcome to everyone who's with us online, joining in with us uh, for church this morning. Thank you so much for being with us online. You're our family, and we look forward to the day that you get to come be with us here in person. So, uh, hey, it's just so good to be with all of you. If I haven't had the privilege to meet you yet, my name is Caleb, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here at City Hope. And it's just a joy. Uh, and a dream of mine that I get to be a part of this team and this church—such an amazing church. And as always, I just want to take a moment and honor our lead pastor Ben and Anna Lee and their family. They're amazing boys. Come on, don't you love your pastor, Pastor Ben? Does such an amazing job with leading us. And real quick, if you're a student with us, we've been conducting a survey. You can take place in this. If you're a middle school student or high school student, you can scan this. And what this survey is going to do is it's, it's helping us. We're gathering information to learn how we can better serve our students and also how we can better serve families. And what this survey asks is, I wish my parents knew, okay? And it's totally anonymous. So like, Even if you fill it out, there's no way that we will even know who you are, so we wouldn't even be able to tell your parents, okay? So, like, your parents aren't even going to know, so, but seriously, like, uh, we've been getting answers back, and it's just amazing to see the results of what students are saying, and it's just showing us areas where we can lead students and families better, so this will be here for a second. If you would like to do that, you can scan it with your phone right now, and you could do that, take a second, but today, we're going to be continuing the series that we've been in For a few weeks on the book of James. And through this series, we've been just taking a deep dive into the book of James in the New Testament, and I love series like this because in these type of series, we get to just kind of go verse by verse, line by line, and just dissect God's Word, and it's one of my favorite type of messages to prepare for, but also it's one of my favorite messages to speak because in these type of messages, like, I don't have to try to create content. I just get to share with you the Word, and then we talk about that, and so that's what we're going to be doing today, and, and I, how many of you know, like, the word is powerful, okay? Like it doesn't need me to help it, all right? So it's powerful and I'm gonna share it with you and it has the power to, to touch you today. So uh, we're gonna be picking up where Pastor Ben left off. In, in week one, Pastor Ben started in the book of James and he did the first half of chapter one. He talked about trials and temptations because that's heavily what they talk about in that, in that passage. And then last week, we had our good friend, Pastor Drew, Frider from Maryland, and he is a pastor of Lyft Church there. And he came last week and he shared a message from the book of James on the topic of jealousy and comparison, and such a great message last week. If you missed any of those, you can catch them online or on our website. But today, as I said, I'm picking up where Pastor Ben left off, which is at verse 16. So if you have your Bibles with you today, you can open them with me to James chapter 1, verse 16, and we're going to be looking at 11 verses. Verse 16 Through 27. And what we're gonna do is we're just gonna kind of read through it at first and then we're gonna dissect it together. But I love the book of James because James, when, if you've read it before, One thing you'll see is that James is very direct in his communication. Like, he's very bold. He just says it like it is. Like, I don't know about you, but I really appreciate direct communication. Like, I don't like it when people beat around the bush. I want them to just tell me what they say. Is there anybody with me? Like, you know, I want to know exactly what my boss thinks. I don't want, you know, my boss to to tell me something and then go home and tell their wife what they really (laughs) meant to say to me, right? Like, has anybody ever done that before? Like, you, you were trying to confront somebody, but then you didn't, you didn't quite have the boldness to get it out, and then you went home and was like, man, they just this and that, and they're, you know, and you're like, that's what you really should have said, you know? Like, just tell me like it is, you know? Like, just say what it is so that I can correct it, so that I can fix it. So James really talks to us like that, and you're going to see that. He's pretty bold, but one of the things that I want to point out to you today is that in this passage, one of the things that you're going to see is that James mentions God's word, the phrase, the word or God's word five times. And I'm going to point it out to you, but it's very important. So take notice to it. And starting in verse one, James says, don't be deceived. My brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. And so what James is wanting to let us know just right off the bat is that if it's good in your life, it came from God, okay? Like you would say, no, it comes from from my labor and the sweat of my brow and I work hard for what I have. Yes, but God gives you the ability to labor. God gives you a brain that allows you to think. God gives you a job. He provides for you the, the resources. And so everything that's good in our life can be traced back to God. And one common misconception would be that God tempts us. And Pastor Ben talked a little bit about this in week one, but the truth is that God does not tempt us. He doesn't have the ability to tempt us. That's the devil. Now, God will take bad things in our life and he will use them for good, but everything in our life that's good is from God coming from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through, here's the first mention, He gave us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My brothers and sisters, take note of this, that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, let us, and here's where he starts to get really bold. He tells us what to do. He steps up in our grits, okay? Like, that's what we said in Alabama. He gets all up in your cornbread, okay? So, therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Like, that's bold. It got quiet in here. Like, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, he says, and humbly accept, second mention, the word, that was planted in you because it can save you. It can save you, he tells us. Don't merely listen to the word, third mention, because if you just listen to it, you you deceive yourselves. So don't only listen to the word, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, fourth mention, but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and he compares the Bible to looking into a mirror. And after they look at themselves, they go away, and immediately they forget what they look like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law. Now, at this time, they didn't have the whole Bible, the New Testament, and all that, but they had the law that was given by God, God's word spoken, written down on paper, the law. So he's talking about the Bible, essentially. Whoever looks intently into the law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And so James lets us know there that there is a blessing that comes with obedience to God's word, that through us obeying what God tells us in his word that we receive blessing. And James gets even more hardcore here where he says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Like, wow, mic drop there, right? Like, let's just go ahead and have the altar call and and get out early today, right? Like, he just said it. And I didn't say it. James said it. So don't be mad at me. Be mad at James, okay? Like, I don't know if we realized how big of a deal that was, you know? I didn't realize my gossip was that big of a deal. I didn't realize the words that I said was that, that big of a deal. But he says, you call yourself religious and a, or a Christian, and, but you can't control your mouth? Well, then your religion is worthless, and that's enough, I'm not gonna keep going down that path because actually Pastor Ben's gonna speak on that topic next week and it's gonna be good. So come back to hear that, it's gonna be good. And it'll be in love, of course. You know, like Pastor Ben's funny and, and, and he's gonna preach it in love with grace. So, um, and he says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, James, the brother of Jesus here, mentions the word or the law. He mentions about the Bible five times in this verse. And what he's wanting us to know is that our attitude towards God's word is so very important. Like, God's word has the power to anchor us. It has the power to secure us and to bring blessing into our life. Like, it can be the foundation for our lives, is what James is trying to let us know here. And one of the things that concerns me is if there's one thing in Christianity today that's being attacked, I believe an attack of the enemy, is it's the Bible, is it's God's word. And it's concerning because there's groups of people that exist, even people inside the church that would say, well, God's word not totally perfect. It's not absolutely true. Like there's some good principles and values that you can get out of it, but like it's not absolute truth. It, it's, not, it's not perfect because you know when they translated it, like it, it got messed up and so it wasn't preserved well and so it's not perfect. It's not infallible is what they would try to make you believe. Groups of people who used to be Christians, but they're not anymore and would fall in the category of ex-Christian, they, they would say, yeah, there's not that much to that. Like some of the stories you read in the Bible, yeah, it d- didn't really happen. didn't actually happen. It's just, it's just like, a, like a parable. Like it, it didn't actually happen, you know? And, but like God's word is true, and it's relevant, and it's helpful, and it is God-breathed. It's God's word to us, but to me, that's concerning, that God's word is receiving that attack. It's concerning to me that Christians, that we don't read our Bibles like we should, that we don't study it, and that we don't hide it in our heart like David says, that we don't hide his word in our hearts. And and it's concerning to me that we've raised a generation in Generation Z where statistics tell us only 3% of the people who fall in the category of Gen Z read the Bible for themselves. That shocks me. And that is concerning to me because God's word is a foundation for our life. And the enemy, the devil, is constantly trying to question God's word. He's constantly trying to question the Bible. And he's always trying to make you question the Bible. He's trying to make you believe that it's not powerful, that it's not helpful, that it's not useful, that it's not relevant, that it's not trustworthy. But I want you to know today that God's word is trustworthy, that it is perfectly preserved, that it is relevant for your life, that it can be a foundation upon which you build your life. But the enemy doesn't want you to believe that. In fact, from the very beginning, the enemy has always been questioning God's word because the very first words that Satan speaks that show up in scripture, he says, did God really say The first words that Satan ever speaks, he's questioning God's word. Did, when he's speaking to Eve, did he really say that? And I think the fact that Satan did this and it was the first thing he said, I think it set the precedent for what his strategy against humankind would be. Is that if he can make you not believe God's word, then he can make you fall. And if he can make you question God's word, then he can get you. He wants to make you question God's word. And today in society, people have their own way. And they think that their way is better than God's way. But I want you to know that God's word is the single most important discipline you can have in your life. Like it's so very important that you know God's word, that you build your life on God's word, because when tough times come, and they will, It can be the only thing that will get you through those moments is because you have a foundation in God's word you'll be able to get through. It's like, I don't know if I said this or not, but God's word is really important, okay? Like, it's really, really, really a big deal. It's important. But people think their way is better than God's way. And they take their own paths and they pick and choose parts of the Bible like, oh, I believe this, but that that one makes me uncomfortable and it confronts me, so yeah, it's not, it's not all 100%. Like, I don't have to do everything. And they pick and choose parts that they want to use. And they think, people think like, God just wants me to be happy, you know? And don't get me wrong. Don't, don't take this the wrong way. God wants you to be fulfilled and full of joy. And, and he wants you to have the best life that he created for you. Like, he loves you. But God cares more about you being holy than he does you being happy. He cares more about, he cares more about holiness than he does happiness or your comfort. Like, God loves you, but he wants you to get out of your comfort zone. Like, And I'm sorry, but if that's too much for you, please come back next week. I promise. I won't be doing this next week. And Pastor Ben, is, he'll make you laugh. Like, he's really funny. He's one of my favorite people. So. But Proverbs tells it to us like this. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death is what it says in the Proverbs. And so what James is really saying is that we have to determine what our attitude towards God's word, we have to determine what our attitude's gonna be. And we have a choice. And so what he's asking us is, what is the basis for how you're gonna live your life? Are you going to live the world in your way? Or are you gonna live by the word in God's way? Because you have a choice to make. And you can't do... Both, and really, David, the psalmist David, answers this question for us in Psalm 119. By the way, the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. And when you read that chapter, what you'll see is that it talks about the word, God's word, a lot. It talks about itself. And I think that's very interesting that the longest chapter in the Bible talks about the Bible. Like, I I think that shows us how big of a deal God's word really is. But what he says is, my soul is weak from waiting for you to save me. He's going through a hard time. He's weak. He's waiting on God to save him, but he's not hopeless because his hope is based on his word. He says, my hope is based on your word. And so because he has the right attitude about God's word, because he's going through a storm, that doesn't mean that he's hopeless. He has hope because his hope is based on God's word. And you're gonna go through some storms in life, hear me. You're gonna go through life's toughest day, but you can still have hope in the worst moment of your life if you will base your hope on God's word. Like it's the single most important discipline that you could have in your life. Is hiding God's word, his written word in your heart. And Jesus even tells us this principle. He tells it to us in Matthew chapter seven. He says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them to practice. So notice, not that they just hear them and deceive themselves, but they do it, they put it into practice. They are like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And I want you to know today church that there's going to be some storms in life and they're going to come and it's going to beat against your marriage. And storms are going to beat against your family and your kids and your mind and your body and your finances. And when those storms come, if you've built your life on the rock, God's word you will not fall you can stand in the midst of storms if God's word is your foundation Jesus tells it to us he gives us that principle and the truth about the Bible is that like the Bible doesn't just talk about God the Bible is God and some of you are like what is this new-age junk he's saying it's not new John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Like, it's a big deal. And so today, my goal for this message is really simple, is I hope to rekindle a love for God's Word in some people's hearts today. Maybe you've never had a love for God's Word in your life, and my hope today is to show you why God's Word is so important. And why you should love God's word, and why you should read it and study it and hide it in your heart. That's my hope for this message today. But the only way that we can fall in love with God's word is if we change our attitude towards God's word. And James tells us how to do that. He gives us three attitudes that we should have towards God's word. And that's what I'm going to give you today. It's in your notes if you're following. And the first thing James tells us is that we should gratefully receive the truth that saves us, gratefully receive the truth that saves you because God's word saves you. Yes, Jesus saves you. Like he died on the cross for you. Hear me, he died on the cross for you and he saved you. But God's word tells you about Jesus who saves you. And without God's word, you wouldn't know the gospel. You wouldn't know about what Jesus did to save you. So essentially God's word saves you. And that's why as a church, we think it's so important that we advance Bible translation and that we're working with a project to help try to translate the whole Bible, the whole Bible for the people groups that don't have the Bible by 2035. Is the goal? Is because there's people who are seated in darkness and they don't have God's word. And they need God's word because God's word saves you. And what James tells us is, don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. And I think it's important that James says, don't be deceived, because this is an area where a lot of people get deceived, is they think, if I'm going to be a Christian, or if I'm going to follow Jesus, then my life has to be boring, and I have to get rid of all the fun. And I have to get rid of, and, and like, I'm going to make it to heaven, but the, but the journey there is going to be miserable. Like, it's going to be terrible, right? And I think that if you believe that today, it's because the enemy's deceived you. It's because you've been deceived. And what James is trying to let you know is that if it's good in your life, it comes from God. Every good thing in your life comes from God. Do not be deceived. It doesn't come from the world. It doesn't come from a bottle. It doesn't come from a pill. It doesn't come from anything you can find in the world. Every good thing comes from God. And that's what James is trying to get us to know today is that it comes from God. And so one of the things we try to let people know is that following God and serving God is supposed to be the best part about your life. Like, it's supposed to be a delight, not a duty. We want you to look forward to it, not, oh, I guess I'll go to church again today. Like, that's why we say one of our values is that we believe church ought to be a party, not a presentation. Yeah. Because we, when you miss church, we want you to actually miss it and actually wish that you were here. Like, in your relationship with God, we want you to want to read your Bible, not, oh, I'm reading my Bible because that's what I'm supposed to do. No, like you look forward to those moments. It's supposed to be a delight, not a duty, because if it's good, it comes from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. So he gave us this experience through his word where we're born again, through the word of truth, where when we are saved, we are born again through his word that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. Now, this word first fruits. You may not know what it really means, and, and that's, I didn't know what it meant until I looked it up, but that's because the majority of us don't raise our own commodities. Where this word really came from, this word first fruits is like in the Bible, people would raise crops or they would raise animals like chickens or goats or whatever it may be, and the first of what they would produce, they would give to God. And then what would happen with what they gave to God, the Lord allocated to the priests, so that they could use it to eat. Because the priests, the priest, their job and their responsibility was to serve the church, to serve the, the people, and to serve God. That was their responsibility. And so this was the way that God cared for his, the priests who were doing his duty was through the first fruits. And this is where the principle of tithe comes from. The principle that is today in churches. And some churches have, have made it what God never really intended for it to be. Because really what it's all about is it's about the first and the best. And I can only imagine that for those farmers. Like, they're doing back-breaking labor, right? Out in the sun, sweating, working sore muscles, and tilling the ground, and smelling stinky stuff around the animals, and, you know, got it caked under their fingernails and everything. Like, I can just only imagine. And then now they have to take the first ear of corn, or the first lamb that's born, and give it to somebody, like, I worked hard for that, God. Like, you really gonna take that after all my, all my work? I could, like, I'm not a farmer. Maybe there's some farmers in, in the house today. But the closest thing I can get to being a farmer is last spring, my wife decided she wanted chickens, okay? So we got chickens. Somebody said, oh no, like, they know. <laughs> and I thought, like, literally, we we're on the way home from church one day after a Sunday. She calls me on the phone. We're passing Tractor Supply. She said, Tractor Supply has baby chickens. Can we get some? And I'm like, sure, I guess. Like, and so we got chickens. Like, that's how it happened. And we didn't realize how much work it was going to be. Like, we had to build the coop and had to build the run and get it all set up. And, and like, it was I was building this coop during the summer and it's 100 degrees outside and sweating and and we're working hard, and even now, like, she takes care of the chickens because those are her chickens. And so, like, every day every day she goes out there and takes care of the chickens, right? Feeds them, waters them, and, and the best thing that we're looking for is the eggs that come with it, right? And they still haven't started laying yet, and so I'm like, if they don't start soon, we're eating chicken for dinner, you know? Like, this, this can't go on. Like, but the point I'm trying to make is that, like, I'm looking forward to the day that those chickens start laying some eggs because I love eggs. And I, and that would be like, they lay the first egg, and it's like, all right, I got to give this up now. I got to give this egg away, you know? Like, I got to give it to God. But I worked hard for them chickens to lay the egg. I built that coop, and I, I sweated, and, and, and I deserve to eat that egg. I worked for it, right? And so... If y'all see an egg in the offering plates later, y'all know what happened, okay? <laughs> y'all know where to look. Where's that? Where'd that come from? No, I'm just kidding. But the point that I'm trying to make is because they were grateful for what God had done. They were grateful that God had put good things in their life. They were grateful that God gave them the ability to labor and the ability to think and that God saved them and was saving them day by day. They were grateful for that. So their response was gratitude. God, I'm grateful for you. So in response, I will give you the first fruits. I'll give you the first of what I have. And you know, God's done a lot for me in my life. He saved me from a lot of things. And because of that, my response to God is, God, I'll give you everything that I am. I'll give it all to you. I'll give you my family. I'll give you my finances. I'll give you my job, my dreams. It's gratitude. It's a grateful heart. Is that making sense? So we should have an attitude of, of gratitude towards God's word. And the second one, the second attitude that James gives us is that we should humbly accept the truth that confronts us, humbly accept the truth that confronts me. And I think it's important that he uses the phrase humbly because a lot of times we have a lot of pride when it comes to what we believe to be true, okay? That's that's where the phrase my way or the highway came was pride, not, not humility, Okay. Like, my way's right. Like, I, I know the truth. I have the truth. And there's a lot of people who get really prideful about this. And so what James says is, brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. And I'm not very good at that. You can ask my wife. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. I'm working on that. I'm getting better, but I still have my days, you know. And he says, because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. And so when I read that verse, now all of a sudden it's in my face confronting me. It's stepping on my toes a little bit because it's dealing with a sore spot in my life. Like it's dealing with an area that that something's messed up, something's wrong. And so it confronts me and that can be a little uncomfortable. And so James then says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth. This is where he's very bold. And the evil that is so prevalent, get rid of it and humbly accept the word. So he tells us that our attitude should not be pride about what we believe to be true, but it should be humility and acceptance of what God thinks to be true that's been planted in you because it can save you. God's word can save you. And like there's a lot of people in the world and even in the church that they're prideful about what they think to be true. They're prideful about their theology and their doctrine and the way it's supposed to be spoken. And and I I know some of you have experienced the feeling of of pride about what you believe to be true. I mean, this this semester of small groups, for my first time ever, I'm in a middle school and high school boys fantasy football small group, okay? And when we showed up to that draft day, those boys were proud about who they knew was the right picks, okay? Okay. And they might have disagreed with each other, and that's why when people went up to the board and they picked somebody, they're like, oh, you're stupid, you're trash, you're terrible, he's he's a terrible player, you're going to lose every game, because they were prideful about what they, they thought to be true. And when it comes to God's word, I think that we should have the attitude of let every man be a liar, and let's just let God be true. Let's just let what the Bible says be true. And there's a pastor by the name of Timothy Keller, and he says it like this. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Because there's going to be some moments when the word of God's going to slap you upside the head, okay? And you're going to feel like, well, I don't know what I think about that. I don't know if I even believe that way. I don't, even know. I don't even know if that, that's true. I don't even know how I feel about that. And what James says is you better humbly accept it. You better not be prideful about it, but in humility accept what God's word says. And this word accept in the original Greek is this word dekomai. And what dekomai means is to accept as a stranger or to receive into one's family. And so when we read it, he's saying, humbly accept God's word as a stranger. That paints the picture for us that a stranger comes to your house, maybe someone you don't know super well. You have a house guest coming. You don't, you don't know them super well. And they come to the door and they knock. And, and you open the door and you don't, you're not familiar with them. You don't know them super well. You don't know what the conversation's about to be. But you open the door anyways and you say, come on in, have a seat. Can I get you something to drink? Because sometimes when you're reading God's word, it's unfamiliar and it's uncomfortable and it gets you out of the comfort zone and you don't even know what it's gonna look like. You don't know what the conversation's gonna be and you have to just accept it in as a stranger. You have to just welcome it in and receive it into your family and and that's the picture of allowing God's word into our lives. We have to allow it into our lives. And Pastor Chris Hodges would say that the mark of a God-changed heart is that I like God telling me how to live. Not that I reject it, but that I want it. That I want him to tell me how to live. I'm not trying to reject it. I'm not trying to do my own thing. God, I need you. Tell me how I ought to live. Would you shape me? Would you mold me? Would you make me what you want me to be? And then the last attitude James gives us is that We have to intently embrace the truth that guides me, intently embrace the truth that guides me. And in verse 22, he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says, do what it says. Don't just hear it, do it, be hear, be doers of the word, not just hearers. And he says, because anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks in his face at a mirror. And right here, James compares reading God's word to looking in a mirror, okay? Because sometimes you go out and you think you're looking all good and all fly and everything, and then you go to the bathroom and you look in the mirror and you're like, why didn't they tell me I had that in my teeth? My hair's all messed up. Like, I thought I was looking good, but... Like, for me, I'm 27 years old. So for all of you who are older than me, um, you're going to laugh at this, but I've I've noticed that I've began using the phrase, as I get older, okay? So I'm 27, and so as I get older, one of the things that I've noticed is that something that's happening to my body that I didn't used to deal with when I was younger is I've started growing nose hairs, you know? (laughs) And... And there's days that I think I'm looking good, and then I go look in the bathroom, and I've got nose hair hanging out. And I'm like, why didn't anybody tell me that? Like, where are my friends at, you know? Like, just this morning, just this morning, I was getting ready to come to church, and my wife's been on me about keeping my nose hairs trimmed. And so I looked in the mirror, and I said, yep, there's a two-inch nose hair hanging out. And And in that moment, I had a choice to make. I'm going to just leave it for everybody at City Hope to see because we got the big screen now. Everybody's going to see it or I can trim it. I can take care of it, you know. And so I decided to trim it for you guys. And, <laughs> and that's kind of what it's like when we look into the word. I know that's a silly analogy, but sometimes we look into the word and we start reading and we think we're good. We think we're where we ought to be in our faith and in our Christianity. And we're complacent and we're not really growing. And then God's word, it confronts us and it shows us that we really got a nose hair hanging out, you know. Like you got something you need to take care of. And here's the thing is that some of you, what you do is you read it and you see it. You see that nose hair hanging out. And you just go on about your business and just leave it for everybody else to see you need to pluck that thing. Like, you need, you need to take care of that, you know? Like you need to take care of business. When, when you look into the mirror and when God shows you something in your life that's not quite right, don't just leave it because everybody sees it and it's gross, okay? Like, take care of that. Take care of it. And, and so we've got to allow God's word into our life to transform us and to shape us. And so God says, it's like looking in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, speaking of God's word. And I think this phrase intently is so important because intently is not just like, you're just skimming through it and going through it. But like you're searching for something. You're look, like I think, of the, I think about when, when Peter was looking into the tomb to see if Jesus was there. He didn't just walk by and just, nope, not there. No, he was looking. Where's he at? He was intently looking into that tomb to see where Jesus was. And James tells us whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, and they continue in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it like they're actually doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Their lives will be blessed When you, your life will be blessed when you begin to obey God's word, when you begin to love God's word, when you read it and study it and hide it in your heart. And so these, these few notes that I'm going to give you really quickly, by the way, there's four in your guide and that's an error. So the first one you can skip if you're taking notes, but these are just practical ways you can fall in love with God's word. And the first would be set aside a time to read, to study and to meditate on God's word. And by study, what I mean is like, get a highlighter. And when God begins speaking to you, highlight it. Make a note about what God's saying to you. Meditate on it. What that means is to think about it. Don't just read it and then forget about it throughout your day. Like, read it. And then when God speaks to you, like, think about it on your way to work. And think about it at lunch. And think about it before you go to bed. Like, allow God, because as you're meditating on it, God's working in you. And he's showing you. Things and it's a process, and he's showing you how to apply it. So, meditate on it, have a Bible reading plan because sometimes you just don't really know where to start. I personally use the one year Bible, and if you want to, you can join me in the one year Bible tomorrow. Now, you won't finish the whole Bible this year, but you can start where you are. It doesn't matter if you finish the whole Bible, just start. You don't have to do the one-year Bible, but find a plan that works for you where you can stick to reading God's word that can guide you. And lastly, don't just read the Bible, but let the Bible read you. Look into it as a mirror. God, what do you want to change in me? God, what do you wanna improve? What areas of my life are you speaking to me that I need to work on? And allow God to do a work inside of you Allow God to do a work deep on the inside of you. And here's the last verse from James. And when we read it, it almost seems like it doesn't fit. It almost seems like it's a different topic. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, justice, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world, righteousness. So it almost seems like he's going down a different trail here. But I think what James is trying to tell us is when you fall in love with God's word, when you begin to read it and study it and meditate on it, and when God begins doing a work inside of you, what's gonna happen is it's gonna produce people who care about both justice And righteousness they care about the heart of god their heart breaks for the things that god's heart breaks for and in our world our world tries to tell you that you can't do both because there's a group of people in our world who they're all about advocating for the poor and the marginalized but they don't care about morality they don't care how you live and then there's a group of people who they care about how you live and they care about righteousness and they'll tell you you're wrong in a second, but they don't advocate for the poor. And they don't advocate for, for the things that God cares about. And only in God can we do both. You don't have to neglect one to do the other because in God, you can do both. Come on, church. We're not left wing. We're not right wing. We're kingdom people. We're who God has called us to be. Only When we fall in love with God's word, can we be the people that he's called us to be? Come on, would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes, I wanna pray for you. God, I pray for every person here under the sound of my voice. I pray that you would speak to them right now, even those who are watching online. Lord, that you would speak to their hearts, God, that you would show them what you have them to do. God, I pray for every person that they would fall in love with your word. Lord, for the person who, who, who loved it at one point, but they've, they've kind of lost their passion. God, I pray today that you would rekindle a fire inside of their heart for your word, that we would look forward to your word. God, that we would look forward to the moments when we get to hear what you're gonna say to us, God, that it's not a, a, a duty or a drag, but it's a delight. God, to, to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, and I pray that you would help us to fall in love with your word. Help us to just take one step. We don't have to go from not reading at all to reading an hour. If we can just read five minutes, you'll begin to speak to us, God. You'll begin to show us. Where I pray you speak to every person today with your head still bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're in the room and you feel conviction of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need some things to change in your life. Maybe you'd say you need to have the right attitude. You want the right attitude towards God and toward his word. I want you to know that you're only one heartfelt prayer away from a relationship with Jesus. And from an attitude change, a heart change And I'm not gonna call you to the front, I'm not gonna ask you to stand up or embarrass you, but you need to make a decision. If you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit drawing you to give your life to Christ today, maybe today you'd say, I need God. I'm I'm ready, I'm ready to make Jesus my Lord. Today, I want to gratefully receive the truth that can save me. I want to receive that word in my life. Jesus is that word and he wants a relationship with you today. And if that's you on the count of three, just lift up your hand. One, two, three. I want to give my life to Christ today. If that's you, let me see it. Let me see it. Awesome. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? want to receive the word of truth today. Awesome. I wanna lead us in a prayer together. So pray this from your heart. Jesus, I confess that you are the son of God. I believe that you died, you were buried, and you rose again. Today, I put my faith in you. Today, I am saved. You've saved me, you've delivered me. And I gratefully receive you today. In Jesus' name, amen.